When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chasing wins this year. This is Chasing Wins. The season ended. Um, we lost to the Lakers in six. That game six was a tough game. Uh, we could go game by game exactly what happened, but uh, it's better to kind of overarching pro- or provide an overarching uh, summary of what went wrong this season overall. And there's a couple categories we want to get into. Um, Roster construction, um, players, and then um, just overall uh, coaching as well. So we're going to kind of get into those. But, um, Jim, from a roster construction standpoint, uh, what do you feel went wrong? What were things that you felt uh, need to be corrected for next year? And what did you feel we lacked um, and could have improved on going into this season to give us a better chance to win to win a championship. Mm, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there is so much to go over. Um, there's so much that I said throughout the world. Sorry. Uh, um, sorry about that. Not um, even. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's been so much that, that has happened since the beginning of, uh, well, since the finals ended last year, right? Everybody was on, on their high horses and everybody's like, oh, I got my fourth ring now. Like, or, you know, the kids are like, oh, I got my championship now. You know, a kid like Jordan Poole, we heard things about, you know, uh, where his head is and how everybody was just very in a way like just cocky uh, you know the front office thinking like oh we won a championship with the two timeline plan um it worked we're geniuses uh and saying like you know we can continue to go forward with this because we won doing exactly that and that's just it's so dishonest because the warriors uh, had a short rotation in the in the finals and most teams usually do right but it, you were highly, highly dependent on those pieces. You know, the Warriors didn't really have uh, injury problems in the finals. Everybody kind of came back, right? Otto had foot issues, but at the end of it, he was available. Gary Payton uh, broke his elbow uh, in the second round, uh, and yet he was somehow make a, a, a return. Steph Curry got hurt, but they were more scarce than anything. Um Draymond was available. Clay was available. Everybody important was available, right? Yep. Um, no, they, 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 uh, we had no was injuries. Healthy. Yep. Yep. Right. Um, and but ultimately, in the off season, they lost Gary Payton, and that's because they they were w- refusing to get off of any of the kids, including James Wiseman, who. They won a championship without, by the way. He was not even present with the team like the whole year last year. 
Uh, so, I mean, that should have been a tell right there. He eats up $10 million of their salary. He just won a championship with Gary Payton, who proved himself to be an indispensable piece. And the front office decided almost right away after the season ended that they're not going to hold on to GP2. You know, they barely held on to Looney. Uh, and then they let go of GP2 and Otto. Otto, you kind of suspected that you might lose because, you know, maybe he wanted a payday and wanted to go somewhere else. Maybe this was a one-year rental stay for him, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, in my personal opinion, if you have veteran pieces that you picked up that just helped you win a championship, you make sure you keep those pieces. You don't you don't sacrifice or compromise that for anything, such as like the future. I mean, that's that, it's just a preposterous plan. What is the future? How old is Steph Curry now? When is he going to start slowing down? These are answers that we don't have. These are questions that we don't have answers to. And the team acted like they did somehow, some way, for some reason, right? Jordan Poole, uh, the next guy coming up once one of these guys starts to slow down. Uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. And it's like, when is that going to be? We just don't know. So there's no clear cut answer in terms of how long will Jordan Poole have to wait? until he becomes worth the money that they're actually, they already paid him mm -hmm. uh, going into next year. Uh, how long can a guy like Kuminga wait, uh, knowing that there's a guy like Wiggins in front of him in his position um, and that he's not going to be starting any year soon, right? And this guy clearly wants an opportunity to play. He, he gave a stern warning uh, through the media about what his role needs to be going forward, right? And it's like, well, how sure are you that Steve Kerr is going to be down with that program come next year? Because this year, Kaminga didn't get a minute uh, after the first game, you know, as far as a role in this in the playoffs. And that was obviously a huge factor because the Warriors didn't have a legit power forward coming off their bench. Jermichael Green proved to be effective for a single game. Uh, against the Lakers and who else is there Anthony Lamb who they played all year long uh, without Mo uh, and letting Moody sit kind of you know giving him no role everything was just a mess uh, throughout the course of the regular season from that in terms of who plays that power forward position that Otto played or even the little bit of minutes that uh, a guy like uh, Bielisa gave and the Warriors just the roster construction was just messed up, right? And mm -hmm. and so I would say yes, the, the the biggest problem coming into this season was the front office and their lack of kind of bolstering uh, the roster after they won a championship because championships are incredibly hard to win. As a front office, you're supposed to try to maximize your team as much as possible, and they just didn't do that. They weren't willing to give up anybody. They had five kits on the roster. And Dre, you know, throughout the course of the season um, that I said that they need to get rid of this plan because it's not going to work. It's going to fail. You're going to have dead roster spots. Kuminga ended up being a dead roster spot. Obviously, they fixed uh, the Wiseman situation by tr uh, trading him to get GP2 back on the roster. At least they got that part right, right? Because... 
once GP2 was on the roster, it gave me great hope that the Warriors had enough pieces to win this year, even with all the blunders. So, so yeah, the front office was a, a major factor in messing up the season. Yeah. Um, I would argue roster construction was probably the most damaging factor of how and why this season ended the way it did. Um, starting with the fact that ownership, right, d- decided to double down on the two the two timelines philosophy. And that was a concept, not that they had been proven right last season, but rather they had gotten away with it. And we had won despite uh, that the implementation of that concept um, where you want to, in, in, in essence, weave in younger players who are in their first and second seasons and attempt to integrate them in a championship context which had never been done before, never been truly attempted in a meaningful way. Um, And it was bold, it was ambitious, but it was also reckless and... Greedy. Greedy. And starting with that, um, it led to multiple roster spots that were dead down the roster, starting with Ryan Rollins, Patrick Baldwin Jr., and then you kind of go down the list. You look at a guy like Andre Iguodala. You look at guys, you know, up and down, and you see that three, four, five roster spots that we could have used for legit pieces that could have contributed to a championship ended up being used on younger players who were never going to play a significant role on this team or older players who we had no choice but to sign because we decided – to wait so long in free agency and approach it so as the better players were already, you know, no longer available. And that's kind of been the strategy the last three years in free agency is to kind of let free agency kind of run its course, dry out, and then whoever's left can hopefully sign on a bargain. Um, Dre, I just want to talk about kind of the laziness of this front office over the years. (laughs) I'm so fucking tired of their laziness. They don't do their jobs, man. You and I scour the like the you know free agency right. and the players that are available throughout <laughs> the course of like through going into the trade deadline. Like yeah. I was bringing up a guy like Thaddeus Young. Uh, we were thinking of all kinds. We, we of We put in our scenarios. due diligence. We put in our due diligence. We put in our our efforts and our time and. We we like you said we scour the 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 lists we look at fit we watch the film we look at the numbers uh, and we try to contextualize how each player would fit in the context of a winning team like the Warriors. Yeah, and how many times, even going into the buyout, did I desperately call for that elusive power forward guy? So uh, so that number one, you don't go too small, which the Warriors kept doing, by the way which Steve Kerr kept doing, by the way, because that shit don't work. So so like you said, and I want to get to that. So the second part of roster construction, um, so the first, like we mentioned, they doubled down on the two, con- two, two, uh, the two timelines concept, which handicapped the flexibility and the versatility of this team. And the coaching, second thing coaching was uh, that we loaded up on too many guards. So – 
like you said, having guys like Jordan Poole, Dante DiVincenzo um, off the bench as your first two options. And, you know, obviously Moses Moody, who, while he is, you know, a longer two guard from a, from a frame standpoint, right, he still is a guard. He's not necessarily a forward. Um, so we kind of had guys who were six, 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 seven, or smaller off the bench. And those were our first three players that were reliable. Jermichael Green wasn't reliable enough to get consistent burn, and he was 6'8", 6'9". Um, and after him, I mean, we kind of ran out of options. We really didn't have many players that we could rely on to give us meaningful minutes at any position. Uh, Dante had an up-and-down playoff run. I thought he had a couple good games, but by and large, he wasn't necessarily what he what we expected, especially given his regular season standard. Jordan Poole was a complete disaster on both ends. And we'll get to the players individually, but but the main point here is that because we loaded up on so many guards, it limited our versatility and the players we were able to, to, to play overall and the lineups and combinations we were able to employ, which ultimately handicapped the versatility of this team. And Jonathan Kaminga is a guy who you you would think that, you know, at 6'8", a wing who, you know, who's two, 230, 240 pounds, you could put, put him out there on a LeBron, on a, you know, Malik Monk maybe for stretches, you know, in back-to-back series and f- have him find his rhythm defensively. And he, while he did have a poor five-minute stretch against Aaron Fox in the second quarter of game four, he didn't see any playing time after that moment for the rest of the playoffs. And Again, while I understand Steve Kerr's trying to make a point of he demands and expects a level of urgency and high-level play in the playoffs, a lack of mistakes, we also have to understand that you have a guy on the bench who can still contribute. And while you want to make a point of correcting those errors, you also cannot punish him to the point where he's rendered useless and essentially rotting on the bench when he could be contributing in some capacity to help win us these games. Um, like you said, Dante, uh, Moses Moody, at times, while they did provide good spark at times, they weren't necessarily sufficient as defenders and as guys who could provide some size. So the roster construction up and down the roster was so limited. And given the youth movement, the it, it, it actually caused an, a ripple effect. Um, and then... That leads to my next point. Too many guards, doubling down on the two two timelines concept, and then the lack of front court options that we could uh, roll out there. You look at a guy like Jermichael Green, who is really the only guy that we could play off the bench in that front court spot, um, or that Steve Kerr was willing to. And then you look at our other three starters at with Wiggins, Draymond, and Looney. There's not a lot of scoring punch or a lot of a lot of spacing with those players. So you see that when you enroll when you roll out these guys, you are handicapping the spacing with which Steph Curry and Jordan Poole operate, right? Jordan Poole doesn't have a lot of space to operate with Draymond Green and Kevon Looney on the floor. Neither does Steph Curry. Teams leave Andrew Wiggins wide open. They dare him to make shots. They treat him like Harrison Barnes. And while he isn't Harrison Barnes, he can knock down shots and be an offensive threat, especially at the rim. He still is limited, and he's not necessarily a guy who you you can count on to give you 20-plus points on a nightly basis in the playoffs. 
he'll give you around 14 to 18. And that's all we need from him because he provides value defensively. But again, limited front court options and losing Otto Porter, a guy who can rebound at a high level reliably and knock down an open shot because of his respect that he commands as a spacer at 37% from three last season and 40% for his career, 44% in the corners. A guy like Otto Porter demands a level of respect and conscious uh, conscious respect from defenders. So you're not going to cheat. You're not going to cheat off of him. You're not going to, you know, against the Lakers, you can put uh, put out an auto Porter instead of Draymond at times, and you can force Anthony Davis to have to stay home. If not, make him pay on the perimeter consistently. Unlike Jermichael Green, who was a one game wonder in Game Two, but never saw floor time again. So again, we'll get into that. But la- lack of front court options and versatility was a major issue, and that was as a result of loading up on too many guards, and ultimately doubling down on the two timelines plan. And a, a symptom of this was, again, the dead roster spots which with which we did not have enough flexibility or options to go to. Look at what the Lakers had. Lonnie Walker, guys like Dennis Schroeder, guys like Rui Hachimura off the bench. Multiple bodies, multiple players who you can go to if one player is struggling like a D'Angelo Russell. If Jared Vanderbilt is struggling, you can go to a, a power punch scorer like Rui Hachimura. You can go to a Lonnie Walker if, you know, in the fourth quarter of a game four and have him score 15 points and outscore Klay Thompson by himself in one quarter because they have talented players up and down the roster that they traded for and acquired, and they had a well-rounded roster overall. So the roster construction was heavily flawed, and going into next season, I think the number one priority is to acquire a front court scoring player who can space out the floor reliably and rebound the basketball. A couple names, and we can get into this down the road, but guys that I would float out there are like Torrey Craig or Trey Lyles from free agency standpoint. And then from a trade standpoint, I would love to have a guy like Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi, who we were interested in the trade deadline, guys who can defend and rebound at a high level, but more importantly, space out and command respect from the defense as scoring threats and offensive weapons in the mid-range or at the three-point line, and guys who can possibly also provide rim pressure. Um, This is what we're missing. Draymond Green doesn't provide that. Kevon Looney doesn't provide that. Jermichael Green doesn't provide that. These are guys that are more uh, defensive-leaning, defensive-minded, and they don't necessarily, while Looney is an elite rebounder, um, you want guys who can focus and key in on those things. And Draymond, as great a defender as he is, he is slipping. He's 33 years old, and teams do not respect his ability to score. So they cheat off of him, and essentially he becomes a liability on offense. And his passes become telegraphed. You you limit the abilities and the actions you can run with him. You can't run pick and pops. Running pick and rolls are difficult because he's not a scoring threat at the rim. So you see these issues, and if you have a wing or a, or a front court player out there who can be a threat, like an Otto Porter replacement, um, it really allows your offense and eventually your defense, if the player is competent, uh, to be able to to flourish. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, again, I think the front office has a a laziness problem, number one. Number two, they seem to have trouble identifying when players are like – you. You need to have a trained eye for 
whether a player is going to be viable come playoff time, right? And if you've listened to me this entire season, what have I said about Jermichael Green from day one? You you have said that Jermichael Green cannot be trusted as a 16-game player in playoff minutes and moments because he he there are certain things he does on the court that could be detrimental, um, and he's not necessarily reliable or consistent enough with what he does well. Yeah, so number one, he's not a defender. And you can't have non-defender, non-defensive reliable guys that are at the uh, front court positions, let alone a backup center uh, or whatever position that he tried to play. I, I, you know, obviously he became an exclusive uh, backup center, right? Um, but if you can't defend, you're not reliable and you're not going to be usable. And I saw that within like the first couple of weeks. So how do you watch him for an entire fucking season and do nothing about it? Like, how did you not replay? How did you not have any urgency to like, say by the deadline? Okay. This is not good enough. Well, Anthony Lamb, like that's not good enough. You know, these are things that I was able to identify like very early on. And if that's the case, you got to assume to some level, the front office must know this too, right? If they don't know it, then they're a bunch of buffoons. They don't know what they're watching (laughs) and they don't know how to roster construct. And they have no sense of urgency in terms of, okay, uh, this is not going to work and that's not going to work. And that's not good enough going into the playoffs. So if there's something on the table, that's why when OG was on the table, as they were reporting, Shams and all these guys at the deadline were reporting that the Warriors were starting to become a front runner to get OG. Uh, and then you hear this report like, oh, but they wanted Kuminga. So we said, no, it's like, what? Like, are you out of your mind? Like, and then, and then in the playoffs, we ended up, we ended up not even playing Kuminga a single second after game four of the first round. Exactly. And you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to say like, I knew that all along necessarily, but there's, there is one thing that I knew, and there is that one thing that I was certain would be an issue, you know, throughout the course of the season, which is that Kuminga, at the end of the day, he's, he's only 20 years old. Um, he has these fundamental issues that he needs to iron out, and it's going to take years, and it's not going to take, you know, a year, basically. If you, if you come into the league with fundamental flaws – that, those things don't just go away. Those things come with great experience, uh, just going through it over and over and over again uh, to understand how to deal with those things. Like in terms of him dealing with a big, a four or a five, he's still not used to those scenarios. He's he's like a small weight. He's like, you know how they say, you know how they call a relatively uh, small-ish power forward who tries to play center? but they're not quite big enough to play center. You call those tweeners, okay? He is a tweener even covering as a power forward. He's a small forward who, like, power forward really is not his thing. Most most guys have these defined positional roles in the NBA, and Kuminga has proven for a second straight year that he has problems at power forward. That's why he can never kind of just... Um, get himself ahead of Lamb at power forward. 
fantasy. Because uh, if, if he could do it, then Lamb wouldn't have been um, in the rotation. They would have just used Kuminga because he would have been so, a good option. Could so he actually of, pay power forward? 